You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be reading from verses 13 to 21. The Bible says this, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, and turn off Fox News. Oh, pardon me, that wasn't in there, excuse me. Verse 18, continuing on. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Verse 21, the last one that we'll read together this morning says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Lord, we ask for wisdom this morning. We ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts. Confirm your word in our hearts, Lord. Teach us to do your will. Lord, teach us to die or deny our own selves, especially in these tough areas where today in our culture it is so popular, especially within Christian culture, where it is so popular to be against the government, Lord, in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to know your will and to know what you want. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You can be seated this morning. I hold in my hands this morning an article that I printed out from the internet. It was the headline on the Christian Post as well as Fox News. Says Marine convicted for failing to remove Bible verse that says, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Apparently, in 2014, this Marine was convicted and brought to a court martial trial. She had taped those words, No weapon formed against me shall prosper, in 28 size font in three different places on her computer, one on the screen, one on the desk, and one there on the tower. Her staff sergeant in her workplace had ordered her to remove it, which she refused to do. Staff sergeant then took it down herself. Well, the Lance Corporal put it back up. So staff sergeant took it back down. That's what happens in the Marines. But at her court-martial hearing... You can read about on the Military Times. She was found guilty of disrespecting a superior officer, failing to go to an appointed place of duty, four charges of disobeying a lawful order of a non-commissioned officer. So what are we to think of this this morning? Are we to jump to defend this Marine as a modern-day hero of the Christian faith? Are we to commend this Marine for standing up for what she believes in? Or should we, like so many in the so-called Christian or conservative Christian camp, use this incident as an opportunity to speak ill of the President of the United States and the current government in which we live under? 
before you reach your final conclusion this morning, let me, before you say anything about these questions, let's look to the Bible. Let's look to the Bible and find our cue there. Let's allow God's holy word to form our worldview. Let's align our perspective on life with what is his inspired, inerrant scriptures. Because it is so easy today, especially when dealing with issues like these, to think that we're in the right, to think that we're siding with the right side, when in fact as Christians we need to be aligning ourselves and siding with what scripture teaches us. So before you reach those conclusions, we'll come back to that towards the end. But first, let's study what God's Word has to say. I want to I begin this morning by saying two things. Number one, remember, you who are born-again Christians have been called by God to be holy, as He is holy. You have been called to be separate from the world. You have been called to not live by the culture which surrounds us, but rather by a biblical culture. What Bible standards teach us. So that is your calling. And you'll see in your study today that that means that we will have to deny ourselves and to lay down our rights, even in the political world, to a certain extent as well. Secondly, I'd like to begin our study this morning by reminding you of the context of the passage which we have read this morning. The scripture which we are learning from was written in a very important time, in a very interesting time. You see, Peter was writing to both Jewish converts as well as non-Jewish believers, Gentile believers. They were scattered throughout the, the, what, what today is modern-day Turkey in many different communities. All of these communities belonged to the Roman Empire, which in following years would begin a very harsh persecution of Christians. In fact, it wasn't long after this letter that Nero started the fire in the city of Rome. And blamed the Christians for it and turned the people of Rome against Christians. And they became a hunted, persecuted people. They were living in a society that was very negative towards their belief system. But remember also that Peter wrote this letter with that very thought in mind. He was writing to encourage and exhort these believers to stand strong in their faith in the midst of a hostile society. He was reminding them to not lose hope, to not become bitter, and most of all, to not lose faith in Jesus Christ. He was reminding them that he was going to be coming back again. He also wanted to remind them that as they, were to, as they suffered for doing good, their witness to the world around them was highly valuable. And whether they saw converts or not, God had placed them right where they were with a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose was to witness to the truth, to the world that was around them. Keeping all of this in mind, the Apostle Peter now embarks on a section of his letter that deals with subjection. And that's the title of our message this morning. It's Subjection 101. And I want to define that word subjection because this is not a popular word. It's not a popular concept. And it's something that we need to understand. Subjection. Christians have been called to subjection, and subjection means the state of being subject or under the power, control, and government of another. It's a state of obedience or submissiveness. Did you catch that? Christians, you have been called 
to be subject. And to be subject means that you hold a state of obedience or submissiveness. That's according to Webster, that dictionary is Webster's Dictionary 1913 that I, I grabbed that definition from. Now, in our study today, Peter calls for Christians reading his epistle to be subject to God in two areas. That's what we'll be looking at. First, civil life, and second, the workplace environment, or your work life. So, first of all, in verses 13 and 14, if you'll read with me one more time, just to refresh our memory of the text, it says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. Let's pause there. So Peter says, first of all, Christians are to live subject to the laws of the land. Not by coercion, not through force, not because somebody is coming to you and and just hammering you and making you obey. But Christians are to live subject to the laws of the land by obedient submission. Now I have to confess something to you here. I for one, will admit there are some pretty crazy laws out there, aren't there? There are some laws that don't seem to make sense. Take, for example, laws about child seats. Here I go, I'm getting on my rant and rave right now. But some of the laws about child seats, to me, they just don't seem to make sense. For example, in Delaware, you would have, you have to weigh over 66 pounds before you don't have to be in a child restraint seat. That would mean that I would be in eighth grade driving to junior high and go, Mom, can you get me out of this seat? I need to go to class. I mean, can you imagine? It's crazy. No, I'm just kidding, of course. A little bit. But enough of that rebelliousness from myself. You know, I have a point in sharing this, and that is, it is that, in spite of how I might feel about the ordinances of men, the Bible here instructs me as a Christian to follow them. So I'm entitled to my opinion, and I'm entitled to share that discreetly, perhaps, in a non-complaint way. But if I'm a true Christian, I need to recognize what God is calling me to. My opinion is nothing more than that. No matter how I feel about it, the Bible does instruct me as a follower of Christ to submit to every ordinance of men. Of course, this statement must be qualified by what the Bible teaches us in other passages as well. We must understand that the Apostle Peter here is speaking in a very general sense. There is a time when we need to be very cautious about obeying ordinances of man. And that time is when they are instructing us to do What God has commanded us not to do. Or, if they command us not to do something that God has commanded us to do. A great example of this actually occurred in my life, and I believe that we'll be seeing more and more of these examples occur in our lifetime as we go on in the continual direction that we're going in right now. But in 2008, in Costa Rica... The Costa Rican government adopted laws from the European Union about child punishment, about child rights. And those laws state specifically that you cannot punish a child with corporal punishment. That means bodily punishment. You cannot strike a child in any way. It's against the law. 
What was I to do? Some of the kids are like, oh, they ought to pass that law in the United States too. Now, obviously, there is grounds for laws of that nature. And the reason that those laws have been, sta- have been put in place is because they get abused. I'm not in any way endorsing physical abuse or verbal abuse, for that matter, from parents. When we discipline in anger, we're in sin. We need to recognize that. Kids, are you taking notes? When dad is in disciplining me in anger, that is sin. Don't bring it up at that moment in time. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's been really trained back there. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the point here is that we were given this law, but you know what? In my home, I had to practice what the Word of God teaches me about that. I had to practice what God's Word tells me that as a father, it's my responsibility. It is my sovereign right within my home to train my children up in the admonition of the Lord. And the Proverbs tell us that a great way to enforce discipline is through the rod. And I believe that God made these, ex- these parts back here with a lot of padding on them. But listen, my point, I, I, ne- I never went down to the, you know, to the soccer field to spank my kids. I didn't go, hey kids, you're getting a spank, jump in the car, let's go. I didn't go down to the court, you know, down to the municipal court and go, okay, it's time for your discipline now. No. In the private of my home, I exercise what God teaches us in his word. I can't tell you actually how many times that people would remark about the differences they saw in our kids. I mean, we would be at the bank. I'd be at the bank with all four of my kids. And they could sit in the chairs at the bank and wait quietly while we saw other children throwing themselves on the floor Having berinches, they call them, uh, uh, temper tantrums, right there on the floor in the middle of the bank, you know. And the parents are looking at me, they're going, why are, why, how come your kids are just sitting here, you know. I discipline them, I practice what the Bible teaches, you know. It's funny, my wife was in a conversation actually with some gals who were uh, from various countries around Europe and, and Latin America. And she was talking to them about some of the differences, why, why our kids were so well behaved in in certain situations, let me just uh, qualify that by saying. My kids are in here today, so I'm trying to puff them up, you know. But, but they, they were surprised. And my wife said, well, yeah, well, I spanked my children. And as soon as she said that, there was this woman from France, and she just slapped my wife. She reached over and just slapped her and said, I can't believe you do that. And my, and my wife was just like, what? I can't believe you just hit me, you know. I mean, what's worse here, you know? Training our kids not to do things like that is exactly why we're going to continue to do that. You know, but it's crazy when we're surrounded here in a world where things are are turning out like this. Things are, are going this way. So there's a time when, hey, we do need to recognize God's word and we need to recognize the sovereignty that he gives us over our families and in a godly, biblical way, do what he tells us to do. But it's, it's, it's a difficult time that we're living in. We live in a time when it is so popular to rebel against authority. It is the norm, just about, to rebel against authority. But Peter here is speaking to us about this issue. 
And in a general sense, he says, we are to obey every ordinance from man. As long as it's not commanding us to do what God commands us not to. And as long as it's commanding us, uh, not commanding us not to do things that God does command us to do. The most important part of this, uh, of this point here, and the part that I want you to understand this morning... What is most important is that Peter gives us the reason behind the command to submit to the ordinances of men. He says it there in verse 13. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now if you've checked out for a moment, please check back in because this is really important. I would hate for you to miss the point of this message. This is where we need to establish what the Bible teaches us. So that it's very clear. We need to understand why we are to submit to the civil authorities and their ordinances. Otherwise, it won't make sense and we'll continue doing whatever we feel is right. There's a hierarchical structure of order in our universe. And at the top of that structure of order is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. He's sovereign he rules and reigns in the universe. There's no one higher than him. And he has delegated all authority in heaven and earth to his son, Jesus, who is also called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, every time that you as a Christian live in subjection to the earthly ordinances of men, you are bearing witness to your relationship to the one whose law stands above every law. By living in subjection to civil authority, you are actually proclaiming that you believe that God is supreme, that God is sovereign, that He is in control. And you, are, by obeying Him, are casting your vote for righteousness and living for Him, honoring Him. And every time that you disobey civil authority, you're casting your vote with the lawless one. You're contributing to lawlessness. There are rules and laws that are plagued to us all. I'll admit it. It's tough to go 55 through Reno every day, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, how many of you have been pulled up? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. But there's things that are just tough. And it's a plague to follow those ordinances of men. But you know what? Every time that you do... You're a light that points to God. Every time that you choose to side with righteousness, every time that you choose to follow the ordinances of man, you cast your vote as one who lives for the king of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're honoring him by doing so. And every time that you disobey, again, you identify yourself with lawlessness. Think about that for a second. Is that the camp you want to belong to? The lawless ones? The ones who are promoting by their conduct anarchy. The ones who are saying there is no God. I'm my own God. I do what I want. I rebel against authority. Little clue for those of you that don't know. At the end, it doesn't turn out so well for them. It doesn't turn out so well for those who are in that camp. So I encourage you now. Think it, think it through. 
We see, that per, or we see the greater purpose that God has in this in verse 15 as well. Look at, look at with me there in verse 15. It says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So there is a greater purpose behind our obedience, our subjection to the civil authorities. And here in this verse, we see that it's to become a witness to the truth. You know, I've been known to have breakfast with some of the fellows here in the fellowship from time to time. If you're, in fact, I'll just throw it out there. If anybody is wanting to have, any of the guys out there just want to go get some breakfast and fellowship, I know a great place. They introduced me to Nancy's. It's a great place to have breakfast. You can get out of there for $10 if you're, I mean, for both of us, okay. But it's a great place to go get, get breakfast from every now and then and. I like to go there on a weekly basis with Greg Key, actually. He's uh, one, of my, one of the pastors here on staff, and we go get breakfast together. And one of the things that Greg has taught me as I've been watching him is that whenever there's some policemen there at the restaurant, he'll get up and go offer to pay their tab. He'll go up to the front and just say, hey, those guys over there, whatever they're getting, I'm paying for it. And I thought that that was really cool. That's sending a great message, a message that I think is important in our day. That, hey, we support the authorities. We support those policemen. We're not going to bash them. We're not going to just trash them and, and be against them. But we're going to actually, we're going to support them. So we understand that God has placed them there to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good and stand for justice. And he's actually turned me into a disciple. I actually am following his example now. Going out and trying to do the same thing because I want, I want people to know, hey, we, we support you. But that's God's, I, I think that's such a great way to be salt in the earth. It's such a great way to be light in our community. And that's the greater purpose, isn't it? That's why God has placed us where we are. One of the reasons that we're here. You know, the great commission is to make disciples and to teach them, and baptize them in Jesus' name. And every time that you and I are doing what the Bible commands in regards to civil authorities and living in subjection. We are spreading salt. We are spreading light in our community. Check out verse 16 as well. It gives us another part of the purpose there. Peter says, As free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So, so our freedom, this freedom that is so precious to us, the freedom that in the United States has been bought and paid for by the blood of so many honorable men and women who have served in our armed forces. That freedom that we have, that God has bestowed upon our nation, it's not to be used to just serve ourselves. It's not to be used just so we can, you know, withdraw from society and be our own little group and buy an island somewhere and call it Calvary Chapel Island and move there. I, I wouldn't want to live there anyways. It would be kind of weird. But we've been given this freedom for a purpose. And of all the countries in the world to exercise our freedom to serve others, this is the place to do it. Especially now. Especially now. We serve God with our freedom. By living in subjection to the civil authorities that God has allowed to be placed over us. We might not agree with them. 
We might not be of the same opinion or mind. But we need to understand that the Bible is teaching us that we serve a greater purpose within that society. Verse 17, the Apostle Peter continues on. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So he sums up his little section on civil authority with just a a runoff of general terms here. He says that a Christian is to show respect to all. We're to respect all. You may have a different religion from us. You may have a different political view. You're still going to get the same respect from a Christian. He's to show love to those who are part of the body of Christ. He's to have a reverential love and a healthy respect for God. And he's to respect or to hold in high esteem the one who is in authority. Now we might say that he's to respect or hold in esteem, in esteem the President of the United States. Because that's what this verse is telling us. And I know that is very difficult to hear. But what are we to do when we feel that the person who's in charge isn't worthy of respect? I don't have the complete answer for that. But I will say this this morning. I would call to your remembrance the one that who was ruling Rome when Peter was alive. Who was it that led Peter to a cross and had him crucified upside down? It was Nero, the Caesar of Rome, the emperor of Rome. I will call to your remembrance, how did Jesus Christ respond to Pontius Pilate? Jesus Christ, our ultimate example, he could have called down a legion of angels like that. He looked at Pontius Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world, didn't he? His kingdom is not of this world. And that's what Peter's been reminding you and I of. You're a sojourner here. You're a pilgrim. You're passing through. This isn't your final destination. This isn't your final abode. Let that temper how you act, Christian. Am I saying that there's never a place for telling the truth and making observations? No. We must do that. The Bible also instructs us to identify. We are to identify evil doing. And if that evil doing is coming from the one who's in charge, there's nothing wrong with naming that. But we need to be careful about the attitudes in our hearts. We need to be careful about the way that we do it. Are we complaining just to complain? Or are we, are we ready to be part of the solution? And are we ready to be ones who obey, who put ourselves in subjection to civil authority, knowing that we're actually subjecting ourselves to Jesus Christ and to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Secondly, as we wrap it up here, Peter says that we're to be in subjection also in our working life. Okay, look at verse 18 with me. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So first of all, let me point out that the Bible here acknowledges slavery. Even in the New Testament, it acknowledges slavery. Now, as we all know, slavery was part of everyday life in the times when this Bible was being written. When the Apostle Peter was writing this, there was slavery. It was part of life. In fact, most of the people that read this letter were probably a slave, in, in a slave of some sort. Now, some people get hung up on this, but I would just like to point out to you that if you'll notice, the Scriptures are not condoning slavery. 
They're not condoning its practice. They're merely recognizing that it was real. And instead of trying to deal with this situation politically, what does the Bible do? And we would be wise to do the same. The Bible focuses on the inner life of the individual. The Bible votes, uh, focuses on changing lives from a spiritual standpoint. Because if you change the life of an individual and you continue to do that, and you see God work and move through the individual's we have a society that ends up changing eventually. But notice, first with me, the focus is always on salvation. It's always on sanctification. The focus of the Bible is not politics and government. So just because the Bible mentions slavery here and speaks to slaves doesn't mean that the Bible's saying that it's okay. In fact, you could, you could study New Testament Scripture and take principles from it that lead to the dissolution of slavery which is what has happened in many Christian nations around the world. So here it's acknowledging the fact that many of those who believed in Jesus lived with that everyday reality of slavery. In our times, we'll just take this passage and we're going to apply it generally to those whom God has placed in authority over us. For example, your employers, your teachers if you're in school, your spiritual leaders, We can apply these principles to those positions. Verse 19 and 20, read with me. It says, For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. We see here that to suffer under difficult circumstances can be worthy of praise in God's eyes, When you do it for the right reason. And what is the right reason? When you're honoring God. When you're sticking it out because you decide, I'm going to bring honor and glory to God through this situation. What I mean is that when you decide that, hey, this is unfair, this is unjust, the situation that I'm in, but you know what? I choose to honor God through it. My conscience sake, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to just give in. I'm not going to cave I'm going to continue through, I'm going to stick it out, I'm going to persevere, but I'm doing it for God. Your behavior is commendable. You're going to find favor. God is, that is acceptable behavior. That is acceptable and commendable to God. But let me point out that submission to others because of fear or intimidation or just because you don't want to speak up for what's right, that's not commendable before God. That's actually unhealthy. And that should be recognized because there may be a time when you do need to speak out in a tactful way. Of course, you need to give that to the Lord. You need to pray about it. But on the other hand, every time that your school teacher, your employer, or your parents give you something to do and you obey them, you're actually honoring Jesus Christ. You're actually honoring God who reigns over the whole earth. Now, some of you are saying, well, but if I do that, Phil, you don't understand. I'm going to become a doormat. My employer or my parents or my teacher, they're going to walk all over me. They're going to make me do the most ridiculous things. You don't understand. Well, maybe you do need to be a doormat. Maybe you do need to understand that it can be a good thing to be a doormat. I'm not suggesting that you put up with emotional or verbal abuse. 
You have to handle that in a mature and a godly way. But in terms of being subject to those who God has placed in authority, you do need to please God. Now, I can remember a time in my life when I needed some help with my marriage. And I called up my pastor on the phone. And I said, hey, I need some help. This is what's going on. And he was talking to me. And I said, but if I do that, I'm going to be a carpet. You know, that was my complaint to him. I'm going to be a carpet if I do all that, what you're saying. And you know what he said to me? He said, Phil, then lay down and be a carpet. It's not what I wanted to hear. I was like, oh, I'm not going to hang up on you right now. I want to, but I'm not going to. But you know what? That was exactly what I needed to hear at that point in my marriage, was that I needed to lay down and be a carpet for a while. It's difficult to hear these kinds of things, but you know what? When we run away at the first sign of something we don't like, we miss out on God's blessing. We miss out on what the greater picture is and what he's trying to do. And this takes us to our last and final verse today, where we find the reason for our subjection. In verse 21. For to this you were called, the Bible says, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You see, to suffer patiently with a clear conscience that you're doing it for God's glory is acceptable conduct. But it's more than that. It's every believer's calling. Do you realize that today? Before you leave here today, would you understand that you have been called by God to suffer for doing right? You have been called by God to suffer for doing what is right. Whether you suffer physically, which happens to some people. Some people get cancer and they don't get better. Some of you are living in that reality. Let me encourage you this morning and remind you that God has placed you in that situation because you are bringing glory to Him. He has a greater purpose. He has a greater plan. Others of you, and this is much more common, are suffering mentally and internally right now. Some of you suffer mentally every day when you go to your school and you're surrounded by peers that are not following Jesus. Others of you suffer mentally when you're surrounded by co-workers who want nothing to do with righteousness. It's much more common to suffer in that way. But in any case, all have been called by God to follow the example of Jesus Christ and to glorify God through your suffering. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't lash out. He didn't strike down. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, hey, you know what, you're just an earthly person. I'm actually divine. I'm just going to skip this whole part, which I can do if I want to. No, he submitted to it because he saw it as coming from his father. He saw it as there being a greater purpose in it. And many Christians throughout the ages have found this to be true. It's a test of your faith, and it's something that isn't fun. We have to be honest. It is not fun to suffer. But you need to know it is part of your calling. It is part of your calling. C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book about suffering called The Problem of Pain. He wrote this. He said, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. 
But it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. How will you respond to God's calling on your life? Young person today, how will you respond to the calling that God has placed upon you to suffer for doing good? How will you receive this holy vocation to suffer by doing what is right, even when it pains you? Now I admit, this seems difficult to bear. It's difficult to listen to the Bible when it teaches us that this is what we're to do. But you, remember, you need to remember that God's commands are never given without the grace that is needed to obey. God commands us, but he always enables us. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us strength so that we might be his witnesses in the earth. In fact, that's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit came. God gave the Spirit that his followers and disciples might have power to be witnesses And every time that you submit to the authorities in your life that God has placed there in a biblical way for his honor, for his sake, you know what? You are witnessing that God is on the throne. You are witnessing that God is the true king of the universe. 